Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, I'm looking for my good friend, Seth Robinson. Seth, Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year. How's it going? New Year, new us. I know. 2019, here we are. We've been off the uh, off the airwaves now for a while. I know. Doesn't uh, doesn't 2019 feel like uh, I don't know a little disappointing? Like nobody cares about 2019. We just 2020. That's that's a big one, right? Nobody nobody cares yes. about 2019. Yeah, I know it's sort of a throwaway year, but yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. 2020 will be a big one. Another one of those uh, celebrated turns of the year, but. Here we are. It's January 2019, so we got to plug through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not much choice. We can't just uh, pack it in and wait, I guess, for the next 12 months. No. Did you have a nice break? Yeah, it was pretty nice. Um, we were just around here. We had a little bit of sickness in the house that kind of got in the way of things, but um, it was good. How about you? Also good, yeah. We had one, one man down uh, illness that didn't... Um, None of the rest of us caught it, so that was good. So it didn't it didn't waylay us too much. But yeah, pretty mellow, mostly round. Got some skiing in uh, right after Christmas, which was nice. I hadn't been since last year, so I was really happy to get out on the slopes. Um, but beyond that, pretty mellow, pretty mellow for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I took a few extra days off and didn't come back right away, which sort of worked out in some ways um, and sort of not in others, but uh, now that's all behind us. We're back. Got to, now we have to watch out for like the winter blues. Yeah, I know. It always gets sort of depressing after, uh, after the holidays are over, but we've got a lot of cold here, but it's been bright and sunny. As long as the sun comes out, I can usually deal and not get too down about the, uh, about the weather. Yeah. When it's like slate gray, and 19 <laughs> yeah. degrees for two weeks in a row. Yeah, that's no fun. That's pretty tough. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, as always in January, the CompTIA research team will be putting out their industry outlook report, uh, and it will probably get published towards the end of the month here. Um, as always, it contains information on the size of the industry and the shape and a forecast for how much growth we expect to see. But one of the the things that really gets a lot of traction is the trends that we include. Uh, And so we're not going to walk through all of them today, but just uh, for kind of a sneak peek at the outlook, uh, we thought we'd maybe talk through a few of them. Yep, that sounds good. So I I started with mine at, at a level that kind of combines some old stuff and some new stuff. And so I was looking at some of the things that are happening on the technology landscape and looking at three things in particular that combine to create a, a new technology platform or, or kind of the way I'm calling it is the infrastructure for the new economy. So you think about economic shifts that have happened in the past, and there tends to be some infrastructure that goes along with it. So we're either you know building out railroads or we're building out telephone networks or, or the steam engine is driving a lot of innovation. You, you've got these things that kind of act as a platform for the way the economy is going to build. And if we're heading into this digital economy, I see that cloud computing is going to combine with edge computing and then 5G networks, which everyone is talking about, was a big topic this week at CES. It's been a big topic for a little while, and it will continue to be a big topic this year. We, we probably really won't even see a lot of devices that are enabled on, on 5G, but I think those three things combined 
are going to be this new infrastructure that, you know, once those are in place, now you're going to start building on top of it. And you're obviously going to have companies that are going to make money directly via cloud computing or edge computing or building out 5G networks. But the larger opportunity is going to be in the applications that go on top of it uh, and what kind of new things that can be done, what kind of new data streams can be captured and, and how companies innovate once they have this infrastructure in place. So that's kind of the first big thing that I see happening. Illuminate me a little bit. So where do you think we are right now on 5G build out? I mean, are we really at just sort of the, the, the basic infrastructure phase right now before, you know, I mean, obviously, I'm not on a 5G network myself personally. Um, so I'm and I'm a little bit in the dark as to how far we are along with the actual building out of these of this new network. Yeah, the, the standards really haven't even been fully agreed on yet. Uh, and so uh, in theory, you know, you can have a 5G network and you can you can see it, you know, you could see it up in like a lab or some kind of proof of concept or something like that. Uh, but in terms of broad rollout, there's a bit of a standards battle going on. And, and you know how those go, you know, usually the marketplace has to kind of settle that out. You've got all the different carriers probably competing for different parts of what they'd like to see. And so, you know, the market will shake that out a little bit. I don't know if that means that we would launch with competing, you know, 5G in some ways or not. But I, I think it is going to take a while to play out. Like I said, at the at the beginning here, I don't think it's like, you know, the next wave of smartphones or even the next iPhone this year is going to be on 5G networks. And you're going to have to, you know, think about what your plan looks like with your carrier and all that. I don't think it's going to be that soon. And it's going to be a lot of watching to see exactly how these networks get built out, how these standards get decided, and then when the devices eventually start coming in. And and I think for a lot of people, you know, when, when 5G gets talked about, They'll, they'll say how fast it is and, and they'll talk about, you know, you can download a movie in a few seconds and, and people will obviously notice that on their personal devices. But some of the greater potential in 5G is with the Internet of Things, uh, which we'll probably talk about in a minute. And, and the fact that the, the spectrum and the radio waves within 5G can, can travel in different ways than, than previous radio waves could. And so the, the IoT stuff can communicate with each other a little bit better and obviously faster. And, and, and that's really the thing that's going to drive the, the platform notion forward, right? It's not just that your smartphone's going to get faster. It's that uh, there a lot of this IoT stuff and connected world stuff that we've been heading towards is, is going to be a lot closer to being a reality. Yeah, so you're seeing these three things as one platform, so cloud and edge computing and 5G. And I'm wondering if the industry is approaching it that way right now as well. So the vendors, obviously there are different vendors in each of these spaces. Are they thinking of these three components as a platform and A, either working together or doing things in-house that, that would combine all three of these? Or is this going to be something that is really becomes an integration type project for CIOs and, and, and IT pros and then also you know folks on the channel side? Um, or do you see this as something that's going to be coming out of the box as an integrated type of solution? Um, I don't think it's going to come out of the box. I, you yeah. know, I think that these things are going to get put together and, and you might have a, a vendor or a provider that is giving you your cloud service and your edge service, but yeah. they're not going to be involved in the 5G part of it, right? And, and I think actually more likely, you know, you might have some cloud providers and, and you might get your edge provider from somewhere else. And so now the application that you're thinking of, which is really where all of this starts driving, is you have to think about 
how that application works across uh, you know, an edge node and uh, a backend cloud provider with everything connected on 5G. Right, that's that's kind of a more more of an integration thing, I would say. You know, in in the way that you described it there, um, yeah. probably some of the real big vendors, like if you know a, a vendor dealing with networking equipment or something like that, some of their clients, I, I could see them having some discussions about, okay, for what you want to do, here's how we can enable it between the cloud and the edge. Uh, I, I definitely think that some of those conversations are happening, but broadly speaking. I think cloud computing is kind of existing on its own, and people have looked at that as a replacement for the data center. Edge computing has been cropping up. I don't think it's on a lot of people's radar screens yet, other than there's kind of this debate about whether edge computing replaces cloud computing. Uh, And again, I don't think it does. I think it's an extension of it. Uh, And I think you're going to end up using both for for your applications. Um, And then 5G obviously kind of sits off on its own. Okay, I'm going to study up on this, Seth, so that I can speak as eloquently as you did on it. Oh. Um, so you've got another trend here, though, that is also um, highly technical and interesting, and I just like the name of it anyway, but we want to talk about ambient computing, and you'll have to uh, share with me exactly what you mean by that, and I understand that IoT and artificial intelligence are part of the fuel behind, or at least in your trend, uh, fuel behind what's going to promote ambient computing. Right, right. So I mentioned IoT before, and I think this is where if you have that foundational infrastructure in place, now the application that you're trying to build on that is probably going to leverage IoT and artificial intelligence to provide this sensor network, you know, to digitize things that have not been digitized before, uh, to be able to learn from the environment and to be able to provide some automation maybe based on context. And so, you know, IoT is going to provide that sensor network. It's going to provide a lot of computing capability in places where we didn't used to have computing capability. And then artificial intelligence is kind of going to come on the software side and provide some of that context and begin automating things. And so the, the example that I'm thinking of a little bit here is like smart lighting. So the first step of smart lighting is... You've just got lighting that's connected to the internet, and you can control it from an app on your phone versus just the old standard light switch, right? Yeah. You could take a second step with that, and you could maybe manually do some automation within the app and set some schedules, you know, or things like that. But then ambient computing is kind of when you walk into a room with your smartphone and your lights recognize that you're there, and they recognize, you know, the time of day, and so they set the light accordingly, and all of it just happens, and you're not really providing input into it. And, and there are a lot of other examples that could be used. And obviously, a lot of these voice assistants that are, that are being put into homes and into businesses, you know, those are going to contribute to this as well as people interact with natural language. But a lot of this is kind of just going to happen, and it's going to be all around us, hence you know, the term ambient computing. Right. And so what, what, I, what I start to think about is some of the potential negative implications are there you know around security around what's going on with all this data that is now being sort of automatically generated throughout these networks and and throughout the IoT sensors and without the manual interaction with the human being and those considerations to me seem like they're going to have to be thought about uh, pretty top of mind before this could kind of spiral out of control yeah, definitely. I, you know, I think the, the key point of this trend is that if you're a company that's building out you know, an application or some t- type of digital service 
for customers, you, you've got a lot more opportunity here to build out something that can really be convenient for them, uh, really be seamless. But then you also have the responsibility that you're mentioning to kind of think about, eh, how could this go wrong? Because uh, mm-hmm. I, think, I think we've seen, even in, in some of the limited examples that we might have had over the past year, how wrong some of this can go. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, you could build, I could, you know, potentially I can see now from, I look, think about this from the business side is you could build whole practices around the security, data security and and privacy implications around some of these newer technologies. And, you know, you may not actually be dealing with the technologies at all, as all, at all, but as a consultant, you could be the person that goes in and, and helps look at the potential downstream implications and then try to get ahead of those um, so that obviously consumers and, and businesses can take advantage of these great, awesome new technologies and the capabilities that we'll bring to them, um, but, but doing so in a safe way. Definitely. I, you know, I think if you're a consultant or an integrator or a solution provider you know, or some kind of third party that's coming in and, and helping, we've talked for a long time about you know, what's the balance between reacting to your customer needs and trying to drive them in a certain direction? And I think here, both both of the things that I mentioned, the opportunity and the responsibility, I think there's a lot of driving that can be done. You can drive your clients into recognizing what opportunities exist, uh, but then you really should be also driving them into considering the responsibilities, considering some of the unintended consequences. Um, and, and that actually, I think, kind of leads into one of your trends that for these third parties, you know, for these these firms that are operating in the business of technology and trying to enable other companies with their technology solutions, there's a lot of work to do to get up to speed on all of the emerging technology that's coming out these days. No, absolutely. I mean, emerging technology for the quote-unquote business of tech ecosystem, which is the channel, as as we often refer to it. So solution providers, MSPs, integrators, cloud providers, you name it. Um, Emerging tech is going to be in 2019 um, a big deal. And we looked at it quite a bit in 2018 as to where uh, many of these companies are on the adoption curve. Are they selling to their customers yet? Are they simply experimenting in-house? Have they not even taken a look at a lot of these things yet? And I'd say that they, you know, they're making baby step progress um, but I would hardly say that there was widespread adoption among a lot of these companies. And if they are in production with some emerging tech, it typically would be one, you know, one thing that they're working with, whether it's artificial intelligence or they're working with um, with IoT, which tends to be the the one emerging tech that is more mature among the uh, among the channel ecosystem. They've been working with IoT both on the hardware side, especially, but increasingly on the the software side as well for a lot longer than some of the other emerging technologies that we've been talking about. But I think that we're going to see um, an acceleration in their adoption this year, but I still believe there's a long way to go. And so what, there's a gap between what many of these companies see as their opportunity and what their ability is. And that's what needs to be bridged this year. So yes, I think we can make a lot of money off of fill in the blank with, with that, whichever emerging tech you want to. Uh, but uh, we have a huge gulf between seeing the opportunity and being able to um, realize it. And part of that gulf is skills. So they've got, you know, a lot of these smaller channel firms are like, well, we don't have anybody on staff who understands how to work with blockchain or AI or anything. And so they need to make decisions and allocate resources toward 
either retraining their existing staff or hiring new people. And, you know, these are not easy decisions for a lot of these smaller companies. Um, so getting up to speed in terms of human power and, and, and skills is going to be, I think, the biggest deal in 2019. And then figuring out which of these emerging techs fit best into their business. Um, you're not going to do them all. Um, you may do, you know, make one of them, you know, part of, and it, it may depend on the vendors you work with. So you may be working already with vendors who are really diving into one emerging tech area and you already have a relationship and a partnership with that vendor. So that just is a natural a natural fit for you to take on whatever product or service they come out with and make that part of your portfolio. So there's a lot of things uh, to be considering going forward. Uh, but I do think I expect 2019, we're going to see a lot more of companies in the business of tech ecosystem move from consideration to at least on a small scale level, uh, more adoption and production mode. There's there's another layer that I'm curious about above the skills that you mentioned and then some of the business decisions about what areas to go into. If you look back at the two trends that I talked about, it was about understanding that there's this new platform that you have to build on top of and, and how you build on top of it and then actually going and, and building it out. And I, I think that's a shift for a lot of internal IT functions, uh, just the way that IT is getting done is shifting you know, from tactics into strategy a little bit more, and it's there's this broad system thinking. And for the business of technology firms to fit into that, they need to have that shift as well, right? They're not just selling products anymore, and they're not just right. even selling services, but they have to be thinking about systems. And I'm sure for a lot of them, that's kind of a foundational cultural shift. So is that true? Is it a big cu cultural shift for a lot of them? And and how do you see some people getting through that cultural shift? Yeah, no, no, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things that I mentioned in, in, in the trend that, that, that I like, that I think is a, a very real reality for, for many channel firms is this, this is a, a big change, a big shift. If you consider some of the emerging texts, just take AI, for instance, they're really more of a feature or a component or even an underlying enabling technology. Not They're not a standalone thing that you would sell. And I've often said this about cloud or the internet, you know, in the past, it's like you don't sell the cloud. Um, you sell things that live in the cloud or on top of the cloud. Um, and I think that that's hopefully for channel farms that have done a good job embracing the cloud um the, the cloud approach, they'll be able to apply that to some of these emerging techs because you're not going out there and selling artificial intelligence to your customers. AI will now become part of something that you are selling to them or you may actually have to, as you said, become more involved in figuring out how you can incorporate an AI tool into something that you want to sell. And I think it's going to require a level of sophistication that goes way beyond what some channel firms typically have at this point, meaning they're going to going to have to get into the realm of developing their own um, uh, own processes, their own custom application development, um, figuring out their own IP in some regards. We've been talking for a couple of years now about how some of the more savvy channel companies in our business of tech world are starting to create their own intellectual property. And that doesn't necessarily mean they built a product, but it means they might have built a process that's repeatable and they use over and over and it becomes really, it's theirs, it's their IP. Or they begin to get more into coding and creating um, something on the software side, which is not traditionally where a lot of channel firms have lived. And I think that the emerging techs, given their nature as really more features or components, and you can argue with me on that one, whether, but that's my takeaway, is some of these things are really just 
features built into or enabling technologies that are part of a bigger system, as you often say. And that is going to require um, a mind shift among channel farms that are very, very used to just selling a standalone product. Yeah, I I think you're right about um, enabling technologies and about trying to consider you know, what does it mean to have a new enabling technology where maybe there are some pieces that I can sell, but beyond that, there's something that I have to do on top of it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, like, one of the interesting effects here is, or actually non-effect, is on, like, the vendor-partner relationship. If if the issue has shifted from product to sell into, you know, more of a service to provide, which, you know, obviously we've had those services for a while, but if that is really continuing to be the shift, then that vendor partnership doesn't necessarily change. You know, the partner is still getting the pieces they need from the solution for the vendor, but now they have to apply their own IP or innovation to the solution. The the vendor, you know, isn't necessarily going to deliver that. Maybe they would help with that, you know, in some channel programs, but you wouldn't necessarily expect that to come directly from the vendor. You have to do that on your own. And so those firms that have already explored doing some of that on their own are probably the ones that are ahead of the game on this one. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I think that that becomes the value add is you take what the vendor supplies you, but then really all of the the opportunity, the profit comes around what you are able to then create and build out of that solution. And it may be um, taking it into a vertical industry and figuring out how to use emerging tech based on uh, with the, the, the foundational um, product or service that the vendor has provided you, how you turn that into something that appeals to your retail customer, for instance, or something like that. It really, it, it, it we've been talking about this for a long time, but it, it puts the channel company really as the one who is providing the, the product or service, really the value add or differentiator to the customer. And it's less so about whoever the original manufacturer on the back end was. And uh, I think this is, is a shift that, that is taking some channel companies a time to get used to. And it, it isn't the easiest shift to make. And there's a lot of moving parts that go along with that. But you're right. I, I think that it's going to be what you are able to build beyond what comes out of the box. And that's just a little metaphor, not necessarily anything coming out of the box, but whatever the vendor is supplying to you. And yes, they might help you in some regard. But some of the, the channel companies are going to be most successful are going to be the ones to be able to turn something into their own and then on top of that be able to manage it in an ongoing way for their customer so i think there's two it's it's two prong being able to create something that is more specific to the customer out of the piece the vendor gave you and then these other pieces that you have that you may be be able to um to fit in some of the emerging technologies that we talked about turn this into a solution that's more uh specific to a particular customer particular industry or particular application and then being able to be the one who can be the manager of that for the ongoing, you know, into the future for that customer as either as a, man, a managed service provider or in, or in some other contractual way where you're basically in charge of making sure that that solution or application continues to uh, work for them and is secured. Mm. Well, uh, I, you know, I really enjoy having these high level discussions. I, you know, I think that with all the research that we do over the year, um, we're, we're, we're able to come into these trends and, and see where some of these pieces come together and how it all, all fits. And, and these three trends are just a small sample of, of the ones that we have. I think we're going to have 12 trends in the outlook report touching on technology and channel business and workforce issues. 
Uh, and then, like I said, we'll have all of the just normal industry size and shape and growth forecasts. So right. be sure to look for that on comptia.org at the end of the month. And uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some other promotional activities and, and you and I might even get to get out there and speak on this once or twice. Yeah, totally. I mean, the one thing I wanted to mention is I think for the first time, I don't know how many we've done, how many of these outlooks at this point? Quite a few. What I noticed this year with our trends is there's a lot more synergy between all of them, all 12 of them. I get that they sort of weave into one another. And I, I think that that's one of the more interesting things to point out about this year is that, yes, they can stand alone, but there are, are a lot of um, complementary aspects to each of these trends, um, whether we're talking about workforce, right to the nitty gritty technology aspects or the business aspects, they all sort of weave into one another. Yeah, yeah. We had kind of talked about as we were planning this out, there's not one big thing this year. It, it all no. kind of fits together and you have to be aware of a lot of moving pieces, like you said before. Yep, absolutely. Alrighty, my friend. Well, uh, we're back on schedule. So yep. Good to be talking to you again. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, I will. Um, we'll chat, and uh, we'll do another volley in a couple of weeks now. But everybody, please look for our outlook in a few weeks, and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Sounds good.